What do you get when you combine a world-class EMS physician and medical director? I speak pretty good English for a guy from Detroit. <laughs> with an EMS veteran and all-around nice guy. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Oh, that's so good. Oh, my God. Well, you get the EMS show. Taking it to the people, here's your host, Dr. Ritu Sani and Mike Verkast. Hey everybody, welcome to the EMS show. Mike Verkast, Dr. Ritu Sani, back at it again for our second episode of the month, I might add. Wow. I know, look at us, back in the saddle. But we're not, uh, we're not live on this one. No, we're not live. Well, we we had the plan. It was we'll do one live and we'll do one recorded. And so we're, that's true. We're sticking to it. That's right. Yeah. This month. Yeah. So, buddy, you what's going on? How, how are you? I miss you. I miss you too. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things are, remain busy. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting shift yesterday where they, I walked in and they said, um, "You don't have any labs for four hours." Oh, that's neat. That so was did, you have, did you have to taste the urine and stuff or right? Oh, I think your glucose is yeah, about 723. Yeah. Chris, you know what he's talking about, right? How how, how does indeed 723 glucose taste in urine? It's it, like it, sweet tea. It's, it's like sweet. It's like when I lived in North Carolina, baby. It's the sweet tea. <laughs> I'm gonna say for Mike, that's no big deal because after he just moved to Texas, everything's yeah. sweeter in Texas, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sweeter, <laughs> bigger, fatter, everything. His urine is always sweet now. Yeah, I've never – not to not to go off like on the tangent, but I've never right. been a sweet tea person or a sweet – like I don't put sugar I'm in I'm not either, food. but can I ask – so we're talking about urine samples, and then Ratu pulls up this great cup of – I'm sure it's an IPA, but – it looks like somebody's urine sample he tested yesterday without You're right. Any <laughs> it is a beer slushy. That's weird. But, well, it was it wasn't on purpose, right? So it it's a hazy IPA. So what are you what are we drinking, right? So I'm drinking the Freem Hood River, which is a which is a Hood River, Oregon brewery, and it's their hazy. Um, I kind of here's the here's the uh, the the. Like, <laughs> But I had, I was like, oh, I don't have any beer. That's cold, and I wanted a beer tonight, so I had to run and I threw it in the freezer, and then we pushed it back, forty five minutes. Push it back. Yeah, and in that amount of time, my beer turned into a beer slush. So there you go. But can we? We should probably introduce Chris. We? You got a mouse in your pocket? I got a mouse in my pocket. What is that? Let's do it. So all right, so. Yeah, today for our guest, our lovely guest, we we have my. my <laughs> Let's end this man. now. We've ended on a positive note. I can't there get any better than that. Uh, well, my really good dear friend Chris Way, Fire Chief Chris Way, which is a funny thing for me to say, <laughs> um, but Chris is the Fire Chief in Kootenay County, Idaho, um, which makes him the Chief of Coeur d'Alene, which is nope, one of nope. the Coeur d'Alene Fire separate. Oh, I didn't realize that. But isn't part of the lake in your county? Yeah, yes. And we have part of the lake in our fire district as well. There you go. So you are the fire chief for at least part of Lake Coeur d'Alene. Absolutely. The best is, part. That's right, which is one yeah. of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, and uh, Chris and I have known each other for 20-something years. 
a long time. A long time, because it turns out that we're all old. Um, but so, yeah, how are you, Chris? How are things going? Uh, great. You know, I appreciate the opportunity to be. We've, we have, uh, let's see, how long we've we been talking about doing this podcast? Uh, <laughs> well, not maybe 19 of our 20 years. No, not really. But uh, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, certainly we've been trying to figure out a day for a long time. So this is great. I appreciate that we're able to finally uh, get together and do this. I've, I've been looking forward to the opportunity. And not many people look tell you that they're looking forward to hanging out with you for an hour or so. That's that not, is that is not true because I can personally vouch for that trying to get him out of places. <laughs> you well, I didn't say it because everybody wants to hang out with him for two hours, not just one. <laughs> ah, there oh, you go. Oh, that was a good recovery. That was a nice, good recovery. nice save. That was a good nice save. save. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it turns out like I went to introduce myself and you're like, Yeah, we've we've met once before. And I'm like, oh god, stupid and whatever. What am well, I gonna do? You know, we meet a million people and we do. Clearly, I didn't leave a positive impression on you, so I'll I do walked right into that one. I walked right <laughs> into that one. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. And so, oh, sorry, I was going to say. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. We, we, no, I was going to say we started talking about what you're drinking, and we know that um, Chris is not drinking because he's at the office. Yes. So I've I've got my uh, requisite out of the fridge. Uh, whoop. Oh, there you go. Coke Zero in a can. The best way to drink a Coke Zero. Cold can. Yeah, I've got a variety. Let's start with this Diet Pepsi. Are you a Diet Pepsi guy? Oh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Pepsi guy. <sighs> yeah, there's a, there's a story. I've got a little bourbon. This was a gift from Ginger Locke at my little Welcome to Texas soiree. Uh, this is Garrison Brothers, yeah. Texas. It's pretty good. And I've got water. Like So I'm prepared for this thing to last hours. Great. Okay. And then yeah. what do we know about Garrison Brothers? It was the favorite bourbon of our friend Craig Manifold. Oh, that's right. Yes, you're right. Thank you. So Craig was a big fan of the Garrison Brothers bourbon. And I think um, our friend Jeff showed us that they actually have a... Like um, a little, little, little monument or a memory plaque, yeah. Of, yeah. of him. Uh, an interesting fun fact about our friend Craig Manifold is Craig and I shared the same birthday. Oh, ah. yeah. And so every morning on April the 6th, because he was two hours ahead of me on a time zone, I would generally wake up to a uh, text of a glass of bourbon uh, from a picture of a glass of bourbon from Craig with a uh, happy birthday message. Oh, that's cool. Ah, nicest guy in the universe. He really was. Left us I here. share a birthday with a couple interesting people, in case you're wondering. Uh, Mr. T. I think I knew that. Biggie uh, Smalls. He and, he and I were born on the same day, same month, same year. And then I just found out Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, did you just watch well, that? Uh, you just watched that Netflix thing. Yeah, I just watched it. Pretty crazy. That's pretty uh, pretty diverse group there. Yeah. I share a birthday with Tom Hanks. Oh, that's cool. And I keep. I think last year I tried to leverage that into trying to get him to come on our show. Yeah, we were trying to get him on our podcast. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to be uh, arrogant for just a moment and say that of all of those stories, my birthday buddy Craig Manifold wins the day of the two stories that you two told. Indeed, I think that's fair. Cheers. I think that's fair. So, 
All right. Yeah. So part of the gig when we have somebody on, I mean, one, we try to pick friends, right? So we get to see you. And um, last time I saw you was when we were in Coeur d'Alene for your conference. Yes. Um, and you um, fell and broke your arm. Uh, but <laughs> oh, I didn't get to hear that part. So that, oh, that'll be part yeah, of the yeah, uh, yeah. getting to know. So we were here. sitting. We were sitting in the restaurant. We went on a cruise, had a few drinks. We were sitting in the restaurant eating dessert, and me and Ed Rock were sharing this big thing. And then you said, I need to go up to the reception just for five minutes. I believe you said just for five minutes to make an appearance. And uh, by the time I finished this giant 3,000 calorie sugar bomb, I was like, I, I have to lay down. So I went to my room and went to bed. And I woke up to a text from you with a picture of an x-ray. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Which is odd because you'd think as an emergency room physician, he would understand that that was indeed a broken humerus. But I indeed. Walked, even though I was the guy that with the broken humerus, I walked him kind of through what the next <laughs> steps were. Yeah. It really, now, this I is, mean, it, it this is one of them fancy bone pictures. Um, Dude, I order the x-ray and then I wait for the radiologist to read it. You know what? It's interesting because so like any good paramedic, I was with other paramedics. So the party had ended. Everybody was back and we were cleaning up because as any good hosts do, we are the ones responsible for cleaning up after people. Right. Better than you found it. There I'm walking across the tile floor, find the wet spot, slip and stick my arm out immediately to catch myself like no one should ever do. I hear my humorous break and I feel it break. Oh, and uh, it sounds just as bad. I mean, it felt just as bad as that sounds. Makes me um, sick. So I was with my two partners, Scott Lale and Bill Justice, and I. And Scott goes, "Oh shit, you <laughs> broke your arm." And I said, "Oh yes, I did." And and then Bill's like, "I think we're going to call an ambulance." And I said, "No, we're not. We are the ambulance. Like you got, come on, boys." So we, like good Boy Scouts, uh, got uh, the. Uh, waistbands off of the robes hanging in the closet of the hotel and splinted my arm up like this. Um, by that time, no one had been drinking for a long time. So we were, so uh, Bill holds my arm, Scott drives to the hospital. I walk in the ER. So this is my local ER where I've taken patients. I'm in the ER, hang out with these docs and know everybody. I walk in and I, of course, walked into the front desk and said, I broke my humerus. I have good DNVs. I have good movement. I've got good pulses, but it is a mid-shaft humerus fracture. It's not uh, quite poking through the skin, but you can see the end of the bone up against the skin. Like, and they're like, uh, okay. Kind of like, you know, you catch a mid midstream, like, well, normally we don't have a patient. Tell us about this. <laughs> and then uh, we had a locums physician that night who was fabulous because she walked in after I'd gotten my x-ray and she said, you broke your arm. And I thought, Oh, well, thank God you went to medical school. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, really no shit. Thank you. <laughs> and that was actually the same x-ray that I texted for to a picture of. Cause I thought, you know, I, I will tell you, um, that's cool that you, you know, splinted it up and took care of yourself. I, on the other hand, would have called 911, would have wanted an IV, would have wanted pain medication, split me, baby me. 
I'll even work on the chart for you, but help me out. So that uh, that's pretty good. I'm a puss with that stuff. There was pain medicine at one point involved, but it was later on in the event. I would want it soon. Soon. Yeah, what are you going to do? But that's cool. That's a good little story there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that was the last time or two and I saw each other in person. We've texted and a few times. We've we've seen each other on some Zoom calls, but we've not. Jeez. Nothing like a six and a half inch plate and eight screws to warm your day. Wow. Jeez. When did you go to the OR? That no, I waited a week. Okay, that's what I thought because I know I didn't think you. I you had surgery that night. No, I had to. I had to speak at a conference three days later, so I went and spoke, and then came back and had surgery. Jeez. Yeah, that was the last time we saw each other. Was was that when that happened? And again, that conference that you guys have there in Coeur d'Alene is just a. It's um. It's a nice little show. It was not, I know that it was bigger before the pandemic and that was the first post pandemic or post lockdown because the pandemic's still going on. Right. Um, it was in our conference. first in-person event again. In per yeah. And uh, so I know it wasn't as big as you, you had previously, but um, man, if you're looking for an EMS conference with really good speakers and they, and Chris pulls in people from all over in a, I, probably the one of the most beautiful locations and one of the nicest hosts that's the place and i understand it is the new frontier emergency medicine symposium it is april 21st the 20th through the 22nd this in 2023 yeah. we'd love to have you we'd uh um and ratu is going to be on our uh, speaker list again uh we rotate him around different different years but uh he was popular and I haven't asked him back yet for 2024, but he's on my list to call. So I'll consider I'll consider myself called. That is the week after Timberline. So um, yeah, I think oh. that, that'll work. Timberline Conference is our local EMS conference here. That's in the past when you've tried to get me to come, it's always oh it's been always the same kind of coincided with Timberline. And Timberline is like the county that I'm the medical director for. So I oh, can't I miss it. that one. And I think Mikey V might be coming up for Timberline. I haven't heard Jack squat. If you know anyone that runs that thing, let me know. Okay. I will. I will. I have to talk to her tomorrow. So I will. Let I, her. I know a guy. I know another guy that speaks at conferences occasionally. If you'd like, if you need a, a speaker and I don't have to fly all the way from Texas. So. Yeah. What he needs a good speaker too. So I'll, you know what I will. Um, that's a good point. And I, and then, and, uh, You've kind of had, I mean, so, you know, that was last time we saw each other. We can go kind of in reverse chronology if you want. Yeah, but, we're, we're definitely going reverse. But like the other thing that you were saying is that one of the topics that you like to talk about now is, is sort of what it was like to be a medical provider who then had to go through the medical system. Yeah. So uh, our, our family's had a bit of an interesting year. I oh, I know. I know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think all of us enjoy, I don't care whether you're a physician or a paramedic or a fire chief or an EMS chief or, a, you know, we're, we're all a little bit, you've got to have a little bit of in charge in you to do what we do. And um, 
so I think, you know, we all enjoy being that person in charge and being in charge of our own destiny and, and making our decisions. And I will tell you, it was interesting. Uh, last January, I had to go to a urologist for the first time. And I think every guy, you know, we all, we all have goals in life and one of them is never to, no one ever brags about the first time they get to go to the urologist, right? I have a side story about that. We'll come back to my side story about that. But and so, continue. Uh, I'll give you the short version. And that is all of a sudden I find out I have uh, cancer. And uh, yeah. Uh, and I am, I did not know this existed until I found out I had it, but I had penile cancer. Oh my gosh. And so like, I, you know, people are like, man, you, you don't seem bothered by it. I said, well, I mean, it wasn't easy, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm honest about it because I think, you know, uh, my message to any guy that thinks they have a problem down there is you should go get it checked out because I would tell you that, uh, before January of 2022, I'd never heard that that was a thing. And now I'm one of 1,432 people in the United States that gets it on an annual basis. So, oh gosh. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and then, so I'm, I'm beginning to get treated. Uh, we got a treatment plan there, you know, to, so I had to go to a urologic, a surgical urologic oncologist. And I don't know, uh, doctor, uh, you, I don't know how many of those, you know, but there aren't a whole lot of those out there. there I mean, that's a guy that's got so many subspecialties. His subspecialty has a subspecialty. Right. And uh, so there was uh, one, approximately one guy in the area and over in Spokane who could take care of me. And um, wow. so very fortunate to, to find that guy in the midst of that. In fact, the night that I had met my surgeon for the first time, met, had a local urologist refer me and say, look, I've, I haven't seen penile cancer in seven years. I'm not the guy that can take care of it. That's not my deal. Uh, and so um, get referred. And um, the night that I came home from uh, meeting the physician, my surgeon for the first time, my daughter, who is, uh, is 17 and was getting ready to have shoulder surgery, she's a swimmer and she tore her labrum and needed her labrum fixed, decides she's going to cut her hair so she doesn't get it tangled in the sling and things and comes in and says, Hey dad, I've got this funny lump on my neck. And I said, Oh crap. Well, we should get that looked at. So the next day we get her into her primary care doc and he's like, yeah, let's have a quick ultrasound of that, but it's probably nothing. It's probably just a fibroid cyst. We see these on kids all the time. Mm -hmm. No big deal. So the next day we get an ultrasound and an hour later, the radiologist calls me and says, Mr. Way, are you sitting down? And I said, yes, he is. Well, your daughter has cancer. I said, uh, yeah. So, uh, we went from, I mean, literally in a two week span, I found out that I had cancer to my daughter also had cancer. We obviously were not going to do shoulder surgery. We were now going to, uh, do this. And so, uh, she had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Didn't, I mean, would admit to you, I feel very comfortable treating emergencies. I've done that for, you know, uh, since 1992 and, uh, the, you know, 30 years of my life. I've done that and feel a hundred percent confident. Give me a, give me a complex trauma patient. And I'm all over it. Give me a complex incident of anything. I, I find enjoyment in managing that. Uh, have you tell me that my kid has cancer and I am a bucket of poop. Yeah. And, and uh, so, you know, imagine. we learned a lot about it in the midst of it. She got septic. 
uh, and spent 10 nights in the hospital. My wife's an emergency room nurse. So, you know, we were bouncing back and forth. I'm not sure she hasn't decided. My daughter hasn't decided whether or not it's good to have parents that are knowledgeable in medicine or not, because I would tell you that, uh, you know, there were some nights she just wanted us to be there to, to hold her hand and not give a shit about asking about, you know, what pumps were going on in the background. But, you know, at one point she was on eight different drips, including blood to get through the sepsis. And uh, so it was it was a really uh, challenging uh, experience. And, and that was all before I broke my arm or two. So then I, uh, you know, we finished it up with uh, a broken arm. But the the I guess the moral of the story is uh, well, I have several morals of the story, but I'll make them quick. Uh, one is eventually you've got to not be the guy in charge and you just have to be the patient or you have to be the dad and you have to trust the people that are taking care of you. And um, it's interesting. I have a challenge coin like many chiefs and I know Ritu has challenge coins. In fact, Ritu has one of my challenge coins. Uh, but I went in the first. So my surgeon uh, is a colonel in the army and he just retired from the army. And uh, one of the things is he rebuilt guys down there after they got blown up with an IED. So, you know, I mean, uh, Ritu will appreciate this. My opening line was with him was, hey, uh, his name's Ray. I said, hey, Ray, I'd like to build back better. <laughs> Come on, that's funny, Ritu. <laughs> there you go. So, but I slapped, <laughs> I, I knew that his military experience, so I slapped a challenge coin down and I said, this is my coin, dude. And like, this is a prepayment and this is a down payment. You're going to save my life and let's take this seriously and let's form a relationship. And he's been a great guy. I mean, just what a resource. And, you know, it's stuff that, like I said, we didn't know about. Same thing with my daughter's oncologist. I mean, um, no, no knowledge, no understanding, but you got to trust all those people. And so we went from being the people that take care of sick people to the people needing the care and it was kind of an interesting transition over the course. I'm, I'm super happy to, to tell you that my daughter is in uh, remission. In fact, we had a checkup yesterday. She had a CAT scan and labs and a doctor's visit yesterday. Her hair's growing back. The doctor is was totally blown away with how, how healthy she was. She's all of her labs are normalized again. And, and so we, we couldn't be better off and my cancer's gone, but yeah, it's been kind of a challenging, uh, you know, I told somebody I would trade in 2022 on a used version of 2020. Yeah, no kidding. So, man. Yeah. Oh, man. What a year. Do you, um, do you think it changed or made you change how you would will provide care? I know it's you don't do any direct care much anymore as a fire chief, but. but uh, more than you might think. I still go on calls. It's important. Yeah. I think you can't give that up. Yeah. Do you think it changed you? In that way? Uh, I, I think it probably, yes. Uh, I think it probably made me uh, a more compassionate person all the way around. I would tell you it also made me somebody uh, that will tell anybody. And I don't care. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a big, tough guy. My, I mean, my wife can tell you probably count on the number of, uh, you know, the number of times on one hand that she's actually seen me cry in the 20 years we've been married, you know, that kind of stuff. She thinks, and but I will tell you, I'm probably more compassionate. Uh, more than that, I'm empath more probably more empathetic as well. But I am also a big advocate for now making sure you have a support system. I mean, and, and uh, I can tell you, 
I think the neat thing is you find out really uh, what kind of support system you have. And, and I mean, I'd give you're a perfect example or two. I mean, you didn't call me every week because and you even said, hey, listen, I don't want to bug you. I just I mean, shoot me a thumbs up and let me know you're doing OK. And, it, you know, it's messages like that. Or I'd get messages from guys that I've known forever of just, hey, man, love you today. Don't don't worry. And so, you know, when you recognize that you have that many friends and from different walks of life and and you've made, you know, clearly made a positive impact on them. I, I think that it has certainly Absolutely. made me realize that it's my mission to make sure I'm making a positive impact in return to those people going forward. And um, the other thing I would tell anybody is um, have a plan. We were so fortunate. We were so, so, so fortunate that we had really good benefits. I mean, we both had insurance. Uh, you know, we have insurance that covered damn near 100% of everything. I mean, it's not hard to rack up over a million dollars in bills when you have two cancers and a broken arm. And I mean, I think we're up to seven surgeries between the two of us for this year and stuff like that. So um, I would tell everybody to have a plan for how you deal with that. I would encourage you to have a medical savings account. I would tell you that, that for anybody that thinks insurance isn't important, no one, I mean, we didn't set out on January 1st of 2022 thinking that we were going to need every ounce of insurance we had and stuff like that. And man, I'm so thankful that we have the benefits and, and we had employers that were, that were more than generous to make sure, like I said, my daughter never, when she was in the hospital for 10 days, one of us was with her every hour of every day. Like, and if that meant I needed to work from the hospital that day or, or I took the night shift and worked during the day. So my, and then we flopped or whatever. I mean, so I, I can't tell people how, uh, how important that stuff is when you're looking at where you want to work and who you want to work with and the people you like and all the yeah. people at, at Kootenai County Fire and Rescue. Like I got a shout out to them man. they they picked up my slack. They were like, hey, listen, you do you. We didn't fix a meal in the month of uh, March and April like they all the wives made dinner. I have not eaten that much lasagna in my entire life. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, I mean, uh, they came and mowed our lawn. They, uh, I came home one day and the house and the deck had in the, in the patio out back had been power washed because one of the shifts decided, you know what, we got to do something. So, and so it's just little stuff like that. Mike, you, you were just, just left the fire department over there. I mean, it's, they talk about the brotherhood and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's real. Like it's, yep. We can screw with each other, but man, you better somebody from the outside better not screw with one of us. And and I saw that uh, our shifts all shaved their head when my daughter lost her hair. There's oh. a great video. I'll send it to you, Ritu. I'll send you the the link on YouTube. But there's a video of all of our guys shaving their head for Kennedy to in solidarity with her. And and uh, man, I mean, just stuff like that. So it was a you know, challenging year, but I want to tell you, uh, I we are stronger for it. And uh, we kept a positive attitude and we didn't feel like we were defeated. We felt like we, had, this was our opportunity and felt really uh, not to get super religious because I'm not necessarily super religious, but we were picked for a re they picked our family for a reason. And I'd like to believe it's because we had the power to overcome, come the challenges that we were handed. So hmm. that's our story. Wow. That, that's just your story for the last nine months, right? Holy mackerel. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that covers the last nine months. Yeah, Do you I would agree. You know, it was interesting because when I saw you um, before you broke your arm or while you broke your arm, um, 
you know, things were a lot better by the time the conference rolled around. Right. But, uh, my wife said after like the first time I saw you, when, um, when you, you like, I was walking across, I don't know if you remember, but I was like walking to the, to the boat for our mm -hmm. cruise. And then you came out like the a side door and you started screaming. Janet was like, you were so happy to see him. And I'm like, yes, I was so, I was so very happy to see you when, when, when I first saw you at the conference and you looked healthy and you looked good. And it was, I mean, I like got a little emotional just seeing you right then. Um, Can I get that in writing? Because you normally you do get emotional when you see me, but it's usually the emotion of like feeling nauseous or something. And so, <laughs> you know, I think this is pretty monumental in our relation. This is an important step in our relationship. Yeah, listen, like, it's it's recorded, audio, video, everything. So you, I'll send you that sound clip. Yeah, yeah I don't get that nauseous. Just a little bit nauseous. I'm going to need you to, Mike, if you could get that notarized for me. Sometime. Sure. <laughs> Yep, can do. No, I, I, you know, it's and and it's it's like I said, it's it's realizing as I've gone and done this, and you know, um, you mentioned Ed Rock. It, Ed and I have uh, have always been, I would say, friends, but we've become a lot closer in the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. And here, I actually have it in my office. I need to find a place to hang it up on my wall. So the day that uh, that Kennedy lost her hair, it was in the hospital. She woke up been in the hospital. This was day nine of 10 days in the hospital. She was really doesn't remember day one through seven. And she reaches up and scratches her head and a big clump of hair comes out. And so she just looks at me and says, dad, just get this off my head. Like, and so I went out to the nurse's station. I said, I'm going to ask a dumb question, but like, do you guys have clippers like hair clippers? If not, I'm going to find a Walgreens or yeah. target or something and go buy hair. They're like, no, we actually have them just for this purpose. And so, um, so she, uh, gets in, um, she gets in the, uh, in the shower in the hospital room and she's like, all right, shave my head. So I'm like, okay, I don't even call Jennifer and tell her that I'm doing it. Like, I'm just like going to shave her head. And then I said, all right, toots, you shave my head. And she said, what? And I said, well, you're not going to be the only bald one in the family. So we shave our heads together and then we immediately take this picture of the two of us that's in her hospital room Let's see if i can that's wow. no, i got it room. i see it yep. the day that, that the day that we shaved kennedy's head and uh my wife posted it on facebook and ed unbeknownst to anybody finds it on facebook gets it has it made and like sends it to my office with this emotional note and i was like oh my god so, I mean, just cool stuff like, you know, just and seeing you and being back with people again. And I think that's, that's what makes you forget it was a crappy year. And I guarantee there were people that had it worse. I, uh, you talk about a humbling experience. I mean, going through this stuff is humbling in itself. But, man, being on that pediatric oncology ward, and I had a sick kid, but seeing that stuff. You know, we were fortunate. We were done in five months with her treatment and she's in remission and going to be healthy. And, uh, you know, there are kids that get treatment for two and three years and come in and do chemo every few weeks or every, you know, wow. So we're in great shape. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's talk about something happy. 
<laughs> well, it's happy. It had had a happy ending. Yeah, we had a happy yeah. ending. You know, that's yeah. so it's good. It's a happy ending. Yeah, God, we got a lot to talk about. So, you know, I mean, our biggest, you know, there are a couple other things. Um, you know, I would say that I think we first met on some sort of grant committee or something like that. A grant committee, and then you and I were on the CDC's expert panel for trauma triage. That's right. In Vegas. In Vegas. You, me, Doug Koopas. Yeah, Craig Newgard, who's been a guest on our old version mm -hmm. of the show. Rick Hunt. Mm -hmm. Rick Hunt ran it. Ted Delbridge. Yep. Um, so we did that. But I think the thing that we spent the most time with and I wanted to talk a little bit about is the advocacy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, uh, NAMT's EMS on the Hill Day and NAMSP used to uh, participate in that. And so we would um, go to that. And then they, for whatever reason, they felt like since it was the Pacific Northwest, we'll send you around together. And so multiple years in a row, you and which I... Clearly, which clearly shows a lack of judgment on their part to turn <laughs> you and I loose in Washington, D.C. together. So you and I got... Yeah, we were we were we did these hill visits together for many years in a row and spent a lot of time together on those visits we did um, and i think we both learned kind of the importance of that stuff of the advocacy stuff i mean i think we were both new at it when we started i, I would tell you it's one of the most important things we do absolutely um yeah so and then we of course have hatched this master plan did you want to did you did you want to outline the plan for us? I had a I had a little sneak peek of that on the pre-show. It was good, so I'm anxious to hear it again. Well, so I, I mean, I, although we are in bordering states, so we live what five and a half hours from each other or two, something like that. Yeah, it's a very short flight. That it's a very convenient. Yeah, forty flight. two minute flight. Yeah, from me to you, you to me, which really doesn't explain why we don't see each other more often. But that's a yeah we'll true. I should probably just come over and visit you. You would you would be welcome. Very much so. But it's in Portland. I gotta drive through Portland to get to you. You, <laughs> you could you go to yeah. fly to Eugene and then drive up. That might be a better plan. Anyway, um so we're border states, but you really can't get much more opposite than the politics in Idaho and Oregon. It's a fair statement. To, it's certainly in the part of Oregon I live in. Kind of right. part of Oregon that borders Idaho is actually wants to become part of Idaho. It's greater right. Idaho. <laughs> we have actually looked at adopting those nice people. You have. And then you realize you'd have to send your tax money to them because they ain't paying in. <laughs> well, and, and that only gets us closer to your part of Oregon, which scared all of us. That's right. So, uh, but, you know, so, but... I think one of the things that uh, you and I probably, well, I know because we've talked about it, um, have some political differences. We're probably more aligned than most people would think we are. Absolutely. But one of the things that we have always walked away from our Hill visits going is, why aren't we the senators from Idaho and Oregon? And why the hell aren't we like, yeah, I get that there's got to be an aisle, but you could have a desk on one side of the aisle and I could have a desk on the other side. And like we'd be throwing stuff back and forth and high-fiving each other and 
you know, when it was something super important, I'd secede my five minutes of time to the gentleman from from Oregon. And when it was something I was passionate about, he was going to cede his five minutes to the gentleman from Idaho. And why wouldn't it be Senator uh, Sonny and Senator Way? I mean, right. And we were going to be the we were going to be the uh, we were to speak at each other's campaign events, which was going to piss everybody off. We were going <laughs> to donate to each other's campaigns. That's right. No one would know what to do. That's right. But which which only makes it more perfect, Mike. Like oh, that's, for sure. That totally. is the beauty of this. Is we need more of this in the world. Like we don't. I can guarantee you, Ritu and I do not agree on every issue. Mm, no, we but I love the guy. He's still a great friend. I'm gonna give him a big hug and a big kiss the next time I see him. Absolutely. And, we, and the other thing is, is we gr- agree on most things anyway. Yes. And and we all agree. I think in a lot of ways. I mean, we, we taught, we, when we were doing Hill visits, we were going, obviously talking about EMS issues where we had like unanimous agreement. Um, and we, we, you know, at the end of the day, we want the same outcomes. That's what's I think important, Absolutely. you know, whether it's EMS related or whether we want a place that is a great place to live and grow and raise a family and, and all that stuff. Um, well, we have kids very similar ages. I mean, my yeah. youngest is a senior in high school, and my oldest is in her second senior year of college. Uh, hopefully, last senior year. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, I mean, so we we are of similar times in our lives of thinking that you know we've kind of raised our families and to this point of needing to do these things. So it's really interesting. But I, I do think the advocacy that we've done. Uh, all the other stuff you mentioned, you know, the committees and the grant stuff we did together was important, but I do think the advocacy brought us uh, much closer uh, and and to the point that, you know, we really have, well, again, probably one of the best political plans I've heard in recent I time. think it ever, you know, and I think at one point we talked about placing our desks actually in the aisle right next to each other. I'm not yeah, opposed. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating the way con- work work gets done in 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 Congress. Um, but yeah, and you know, I think we we've talked about advocacy a lot previously, and and mm-hmm. I think ad- it's time for another refresher. By the way, so well, maybe next month we can do that. Yeah, um, we can try to get some of our lobbyist folks on too. Actually, yeah, a hundred percent. And actually, I will tell you. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I'll offer up the NAMT lobbyists, but. We have a new lobbyist in Idaho, and I would be interested. Uh, I don't know if it would be of interest to you, but I would volunteer her to speak for more of a state level of advocacy, too. Yeah. We have a great new lobbyist um, who lobbies for the Idaho fire chiefs and uh, the EMS people in Idaho. And we just got some great EMS legislation passed in Idaho. Um, and she was instrumental in that and in, in opening the door for us. And I think, you know, she couldn't speak to the to the EMS part of it. But she opened all the doors for us to be able to speak to the EMS part of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people like you want to, you, if you got to fix something or get something done, you like Google that shit and then you try to fix it. And then you ultimately realize, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. And then you call a person who's an expert in that thing. Right. And it's the same with lobbying. I mean, I, I, I don't want my lobbyist to take care of a patient, but, yeah. but, but my lobbyist knows how to manage a bill 
or or manage an advocacy piece and 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 so you have to have those people around absolutely right, 100% what's some of the stuff i mean what are some of the stuff you got passed in idaho uh, oh, we just got GEMT, Ground Emergency Medical Transport, passed in Idaho, which was huge because, I mean, given the uh, conservative nature of our state, uh, we knew that that would be a tough, uh, a tough sled um, because, you know, it involves Medicaid money and, and mm -hmm. things. And I think, uh, but man, we ended up having uh, unanimous support in the Senate, a 40 to nothing vote on it. Mm -hmm. And we had a 60 to 15 vote in the house on it. And I mean, that, that for, for Idaho on a, on a healthcare issue, especially one that involves Medicaid and was going to support EMS is, is an outstanding example. Another one that we've gotten through in the last couple of years is presumptive illness for firefighters and EMS workers dealing with cancer, which obviously I'm pretty passionate about now, but, right. uh, um, you know, realizing that there are occupational hazards that go along with the job and that, you know, if you have certain forms of cancer afterwards that we need to tie it back and figure out to make sure how those firefighters and EMS workers get to get taken care of. And one of those presumptive illnesses in, in addition to cancer is mental health. So we've taken oh, wow. care of our first responders with mental health and saying that, you know, that treatment does need to be work comp and, and getting those folks treatment. I think, you know, um, again, I've been doing this for 30 years. And if 30 years ago, anybody would have brought up mental health as being important in EMS or, or the fire service, you would have been laughed at and hung from the hose tower, you know, by your feet and yeah. hazed and whatever else. And I think, you know, it's something very real and uh, knock on wood, I've not been through it. And, and we talk about that is no one, no one knows until you've been through it. And so as a guy that hasn't necessarily experienced myself, I'm the guy that has to support it though when, you know, in a leadership role and, and having, you know, almost a hundred people who work for me and work with me, that I gotta recognize it, I gotta support it when somebody brings it up and I gotta know where the resources are to get it. And having that passed in legislation was a huge help to us in our, in our state. Hmm. So did you say that EMS workers are included in the state's presumption? Presumptive illness, yes. I don't know, is that, typical in most states or is it oh, just so if they're a non like ada county paramedics is not fire-based right no they are a third service they're, they're a third they're, they're, they're a service, municipal yep. third service right yep. yep um are they they're included in, yes. in that that's yep. amazing do you know chris off the top of your head like how many states include ems I, workers in there you know i don't because i can tell you that when we got it passed and i think it's been three or four years since that bill has passed. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was pre-COVID. So, you know, that whole two years of yeah. deep pandemic is kind of a fuzzy memory of Absolutely. what did we actually get done, which is not a lot of anything. Not much. <laughs> um, so I don't remember exactly how long it's been, but um, at the time we were like the fourth or the fifth state in the country to get that passed. And mm -hmm. I know others have done some up to this point. I know others, I know some have just been Fire. I know some have started with law enforcement, especially on the mental health side. Yeah. Um, but in Idaho, mm -hmm. it's it's first responders. Includes, I believe, it includes dispatchers as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's really good. And I mean, the mental health component too is really amazing. And, and yeah, that's that's 
I really love that. That's something, something, you know, another example we just got done on advocacy is we got our dispatchers included into what we call the rule of 80. So they get the same retirement benefits that a firefighter or a police officer or an EMS worker uh, gets in the state of Idaho. It's, we have two rules. Like if you're an, if you work for the state in an administrative role, you're what's called the rule of 90. So it takes you five more years to retire than you are if you're a first responder. And we've gotten the, we've gotten the dispatchers reclassified as first responders. So they have to have less time in service before they can retire. That's great. I, I mean, I think obviously they're not out on scene with us, but they obviously deal with it on the front side of things and they hear mm -hmm. our sides of things. And yeah, well, I mean, you know, in, in my role, I listen to some 911 calls and I, I know you do too. I, some of them are just so hard to listen to and I can't, right. I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine because I'm listening to them, but being the dispatcher. Do that for 12 but, hours a day, four days a week is. Yeah, yeah you know. exactly. Well, so you, that's, that's super accomplished. And I think one of the things that was, has been our goal at NEMSP and I know at NEMT when we teach people about advocacy and when they come to like EMS on the Hill or they come and do Hill visits is to try to instill this idea that, that, you know, while this is, you know, it's kind of cool and sexy to walk through Congress, that the real place that you get work done is in your own state or local area. A hundred percent. You know, and especially like, the stuff moves so slowly in the federal government, you know, and it just, I mean, the, the thing we worked on, you know, the, the, the bill around DEA stuff, the rules still haven't come out. Right. Nope. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. You, I mean, not really, great, but it's like, you make a really great point. And I mean, we're too God, how many years in a row did we do the Hill visit and we'd have the same dang topics for him every yep. year and maybe had made a step. The GEMT legislation in Idaho truly took two and a half months and it started over a dinner in Coeur d'Alene. It started our Senate, our local Senator is actually the, was the bill sponsor. We took him to dinner, followed it up two days later with a lunch with him and two other senators from Northern Idaho. And two and a half months later, the bill was signed by the governor and again had a 40 to nothing vote in the Senate and a, uh, 75 or a 60 to 15 vote in the house. Yeah. It's, I mean, but it's, you need to be present to win, right? You've got to, you've got to participate. But it's also about building those relationships. Absolutely. So my, my advice to anybody is, I mean, you know, cell phones are, are a wonderful thing. You've got to go make those relationships with your senators. And there's times I'm, you know, I, I tell them all the time, I want to be the guy that you call if there's something that comes across your desk that says fire or EMS, I want to be the guy. Here's my cell phone. You call me if, if it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, midnight. I don't care. You call me. You call me today and say, I need you in Boise at the state capitol in two days to testify against the bill. I want to be your guy. I want to be your resource to do that. And forming those relationships and doing that is so key. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that we hear we both have heard this is that um, when the, that legislative folks, they're actually looking for feedback. They're looking for the people they want that, um, you know, electronic Rolodex, right? They don't, right. you know, 
what's the thing I always said, Mike, you know, who here knows about interstate trucking, right? Right. They recognize they don't know shit about EMS. And there's two ways they can legislate on EMS. They can guess or they can talk to people about EMS. I don't want to, I actually don't necessarily know that I want them to know that much about EMS. I just want them to know how to get a hold of me and I'll answer their questions. That's exactly right. But what you don't want them to do is be guessing at it. Right. Yeah. You want them to be able to call somebody who knows something about EMS. Well, and it's paid dividends. I mean, I would tell you that the one probably more so than the legislation we've passed on the federal level, the, the thing that has probably paid more dividends to us on a local level is when one of our senators or when our U.S. representative is in town, we've formed those relationships. So, I mean, when Mike Crapo, whose daughter, by the way, is an emergency physician in North Carolina. And an EMS physician. And I an EMS physician, EMS yes. So when Mike Crapo, so he does have a little bit better understanding of EMS, but when he's in town and he can look across the room and go, Chris, so good to see you. Like, I mean, that's a connection. Like you've got, you've got to work on that, but that stuff's important. I mean, then, you know, he knows who you are and that you're the guy to ask the questions yeah. to and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And same with the staff, you know, I know like when we would, we would see the same guy in, in my house with Kurt Schrader's office, like three years in a row. And like the third time in, we're like getting the man hugs. Right. I mean, right. it's like, Oh my God, it's so great to see you again. And, and, and so just repeated going back. Um, and then the other piece too is I have a meeting coming up with one of my, so not mine because she is, it, she works for a fire department in one county over. Well, in the county where I'm the medical director, but I'm not the medical director for the count for that county, but I know who she is. She knows who I am. She works for TVFNR. Like I'm the county medical director, but I'm not TVFNR. The agency director. medical director. I'm not the agency medical director, but we have a firefighter paramedic who's in, who's in, the, the Oregon house yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, she's, I, she's been to multi-agency training <laughs> where I've taught her. So, uh, you know, getting our folks, getting folks who know our, got two our firefighter paramedics yeah. from the Boise area. One's a captain and one's a, a medic on an engine at one of the fire departments in the Boise area. And they just got elected to the house of representatives in Idaho. Yeah. So this advocacy stuff is important in, in, you know, these questions are going to come up about like what rules and laws and what to do. And you either are there to influence it or you're not. And people are going to make decisions in a vacuum. They'll make the wrong decision or a bad decision. Um, but they're not going to know to call you if you've never been there. And I, I yep. you know, it's not good to show up at the table and go, hi, my name's Ritu and I'm here to tell you you're wrong. Right. It's much better to show up at the table and say, and walk up to the table and have the person in charge go. It's good to see you again, Chris. Yeah, exactly. What do you What do you think about this? Right. You know, that's just a much better, more influential, just so, a better, more teamworky, collegial position to be in. This is longer than I've talked about politics in a long time. By the way, <laughs> can we make one agreement here tonight on this podcast? And that is that if we're going to announce our runs for Senate at the same time, we do it right here on the podcast at the time. <laughs> yes, that's right. We'll do it on yeah. the EMS show. Yes. We will announce Pretty big deal. On the EMS show. Yes. We'll have to do that one live though. Don't yeah, you? Yeah, we'll do that one live. We'll do that one live. We'll come down a gold escalator together. I'll, I'll wear a, um, <laughs> yeah, that worked well light, I'll wear a light blue that. tuxedo, like dumb and dumber. <laughs> 
Well, I, I personally, I mean, we could do it where the Oregon and, and uh, Idaho borders meet, or we could just do it in Coeur d'Alene. If I'm running for Oregon to do it in Coeur d'Alene wouldn't be that great, would be weird. but it would be an excuse to go to Coeur d'Alene, which works for me because I thought it was amazing. So good food. No, you're going to want to do it like right food on the border too. Right on the border. There's I'm actually, I don't know if you've ever been to the Idaho-Oregon border. There is absolutely nothing there but scrub brush it's and perfect. high desert. It's perfect. There you go. We could stand there. We could straddle the border. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm not even right. sure we have cell signal out there to do a live broadcast. Right. I've got all the recording stuff. We'll be There you go. All right. So one other topic that I wanted to hit with you, Chris. Um so when we met, you were the you were the EMS guy for the county, correct? Well, actually, when we met, I was an EMS chief in Kansas, and then oh, that's right, and then moved out to be the EMS guy in Kootenai County. And then one day, I hear from you that you're the fire chief. Sir, yes, sir. So how does the fuck does the EMS guy become the fire chief? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm super interested to know. Uh, this is like. <laughs> We've wait okay. If you're still with us 55 52 minutes into the podcast, how the fuck does the EMS guy become the fire chief? <laughs> well, I'm uh, I, you know, there's days I still ask myself the same question, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think um, uh, there's probably a, a few reasons, a couple reasons for it anyway. Uh, one is I don't know if you know this or not, and I'm just maybe the craziest guy in the world to admit this, but. Like 75 to 80% of what we do at the Kootenai County Fire and Rescue Department is EMS. Um, you mean every fire department that runs EMS calls? Anyway. I am only speaking. I can't imagine a fire department that has 80 to, 75 to 80% of its call volume as EMS calls. So, <laughs> or at least gentlemen, I'm only going to speak to you. To Kootenai <laughs> County Fire and Rescue. Check. But, uh, I mean, so there's that. I think uh, also my job is not about fighting fires or even being a paramedic. I mean, I'm still a paramedic. I'm I'm still a certified firefighter. But the job of the chief, if we get to the point that I'm the guy on the end of a hose line or I'm your best option at starting an IV today, Something, something's gone wrong. We have got bigger problems <laughs> yeah. than whether or not we hired the EMS guy to be the fire chief, right? <laughs> like, so... Uh, you know, I think it's uh, you're you're probably asking the wrong guy because I'm the guy that got hired, not who did the hiring. But uh, I mean, I think some of it was I was a known quantities. I think some of it was I came in and I had a vision. I think I had worked with our department, you know, in the EMS role. I had worked with our department for a long time, and so they knew who I was. And and listen, I I will be the first to tell you we we are an all hazards department, and that means there's days that you know, tonight, if we have a three alarm fire, that's going to get a lot of focus and and we got to train for that just like we do. But but also, if we have a cardiac arrest tonight or here, I can tell you right now, we are currently running a Bravo level trauma. So we got to be just as ready for the Bravo level trauma as we do the echo structure fire, as we do the Charlie hazardous materials call or the Delta motor vehicle accident or, you know, whatever else happens in our world. And so, um, you know, I, again, I wasn't the guy that hired me. I wanted them to hire me, but I wasn't the guy that hired me. And so I think some of it was just they looked for a guy that had vision and, and leadership. And um, those were more important 
things to them than, you know, the number of fire certifications I had versus the number of EMS certifications. I actually started my career as a junior firefighter at 16, was a junior firefighter, and then took my EMT class when I was 16 as well. Mm. So, um, at some point, did you, did you, um, I mean, obviously did you, cause I'm thinking of, of my track and then, and the, and the more we're talking, the more I'm like, we're like the same guy almost, except I'm not the chief. Um, but like, did you find that you liked the medical side a little bit more? Did you sort of steer, obviously you were the EMS goob, right? So you must've felt like that. I don't know that I liked it more. No, I don't, wouldn't say I liked it more. I saw a path on the EMS side that I didn't see the fire side. Ah, I, I saw a path to get into leadership on the EMS side. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in a lot of fire departments, not everybody's fighting to be the EMS supervisor. Weird. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, so, but there was an opportunity. And so I just kind of went up that path. I never lost my passion for the fire side. I, I don't dislike that. I love the fire. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's still fun to get to go out and put on an air pack and go to the burn building and do that stuff. I mean, that's cool stuff, right? But the fact of the matter is, it was a path for me to get into some leadership opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten if I, you know, waited to be the engine company captain or the truck company captain and then the fire battalion chief and do some of those things. So, um, you know, I think it was, I I think, uh, and it's, so we have seven staff chiefs, I would say is what, uh, is what we have, you know, currently. And we're getting to the point there, there are more of us that are paramedics than aren't paramedics. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a, that's a pretty recent turn of events, I guess, is, you know, there was a time in in our area, I was the first fire chief that it was a paramedic. And now we've got Mm -hmm. another neighboring fire chief that's a parent. I mean, so it's, it's happened and and it's starting to kind of catch on. Uh, We just had a fire chief hired in a County next to ours that is a paramedic and actually came up through the EMS ranks. So uh, if you look around the state of Idaho, actually the Boise fire chief started at Ada County paramedics. If you look at Lewis, I mean, there's several of the fire chiefs in the state now that came up on the EMS side of the house. And I think it's having a really positive effect. We just had a meeting uh, and it was, it was a meeting about hazardous materials. It's interesting, but like any good group of friends, we all went out for a drink and a, and a steak after our meeting And one of the neatest things that I have seen over the last two years is this kind of new group of fire chiefs. And we're all very collegial and we're all this kind of group of guys, but all of us somehow or another were tied to the EMS side of the operations before we were the fire chief. Yeah. So I know, Ritu, I remember your text the day you found out I was the fire chief. Like you, it was like I was cheating on you. That's not true. I was thrilled that the EMS guy was becoming a fire chief. Yeah, with a little trepidation and like, I mean, you know, you you wanted to be happy for me, but and I tell you, it's a great thing. Like, it's fun because I get to do all the stuff I love, right? Yeah, no, I think it was great. I mean, I was, I was, yes, I guess I was a little like, you're leaving the EMS world. Um, but I'm not. But you're not. Um, yeah. And, and again, I'm, you know, the medical director of a couple fire departments. And, and uh, uh, so I get that. So what, so you had a vision in, in, was your vision, where does EMS fit in your vision? And as an experience, besides just 75 to 80% of your calls, which I think any, 
anybody can recite sort of that. But so where does it fit? Because I know you had you had to bring some EMS chops in with you and you had to do some stuff around that. Yeah, but I think it's uh, uh listen, while while I think you're you're actually uh, trying to compliment me, which is very nice of you. I can't take the compliment. I also had to have, I also had to have people that were already working here that were willing to make that change, and they were hungry for that change. So at this point in our organization, no one is from the old guard that can say, "Ah, oh, I got in here to fight fire. We never ran medical calls." Like everybody that's here now, we've been running medical calls the entire time. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as many as we do now. Maybe, you know, yeah. at one point we weren't the transport agency, but now we're the transport agency. And um, I mean, we're doing fun. I, I got to brag on my guys for a moment. Absolutely. So, so the other night we had a house fire and uh, uh, known rescue. So get told you got a uh, you got a, a victim. We know the victim walked back in the house to get the dog and he never came back out. Mm. And the guys make the rescue, but they immediately have crews ready to train engine and ambulance crews ready to do patient care. Like the fire wasn't the most important thing anymore. The patient was. They made the rescue, pulled the guy out of the window, just like we train. Like all the all the amounts of hours we spend training on it, they do a VES search of a room, pull him out of the window, bring him down the ladder to a waiting gurney. They start CPR immediately. They, they scavenge two engines and put them out of service to provide patient care with the medic crew. And like, they take this guy to the hospital and end, ended up, he lived for a few days, ends up being a fatality in the end. But man, to watch that go from the dispatch to the training, to do the rescue, to watching the medical care take place all in one place. Like I'm the proud dad and I had right. nothing to do with it. Right. I'm just the guy watching from the sidelines, but man, like that's what that's the beauty in my opinion so my opinion that's what firebase dms can be about and yeah. i will tell you i'm going to make a statement that's going to shock you ems is not about the mode you try it, that you choose to provide it in it is the effort that you choose to put into the mode or the model there are excellent examples of fire-based EMS, third service EMS, private EMS, for-profit EMS, not-profit EMS, hospital-based EMS, helicopter EMS, whatever kind of EMS you want to make. There are equally bad examples of every single every delivery single model we have in Absolutely. And it is not about the model you choose. It is about the effort you put into the model that is chosen. 100% agree. Hundred yeah. percent. Well, and and I mean, I think that also includes, like, you know, if you're if you if you talk the talk about fire-based EMS or whatever, whatever EMS you are, you you should probably walk it as well and just not be the lip service. You know what I mean? Like, because then it's then then you look dumb. You know. And again, I'm the first guy to admit that if. You, like if you tell me, hey, go put your bunker gear on and get on the end of the nozzle, that's cool and fun. But if you also tell me, hey, take your bunkers off and get ready to be the medical standby guy to be the one to receive the patient, that's equally cool. And so we've actually started a few things and it started with EMS in our department. And we talk about providing clinical excellence. That's what we're striving for every day is clinical excellence. And we've set some things up. So we have a new position. We have a shift EMS officer 
They had to be a captain. They had to be an experienced paramedic. We've sent them to critical care school. They're doing ventilator management. We're getting ready to do blood in the field. I mean, this is the EMS supervisor for the shift. But it wasn't that we were taking the junior guy that didn't want to be it. We took three experienced engine captains who were passionate about EMS and brought them over to this medical service officer role on our department. We're doing things to engage guys in EMS and make them just as hungry. And guess what? It's no lesser of a rank. You're still a fire captain. Right. It's it's not that we relegated you to the EMS guy. It's they wanted to, they had to apply. It was a promotion. It was a big deal to get this. It was a raise in pay to become the EMS supervisor of their shift. Yeah. And yeah. man, it's exciting to see guys we've got. So we started out with uh, five guys initially trained. We've got nine more in critical care training who are going through what we call our task books to get so that they can swing up not only as a critical care medic, but so that they can swing up as a as a captain so that they can fill this supervisor position. I mean, it's stuff like that. You've got to offer people opportunities as long as you're not, as long as you're stagnant and saying, well, yeah, we need to provide good EMS, but you're not doing creative ways to provide better EMS or not taking an introspective look about doing it better. Then I think that's where you fail. And again, that's not the delivery model. That's not fire-based EMS. Yeah. That's just as guilty in, in, in any type of EMS. I think you're right. And I think, I think if you look at the successful, you know, third services or successful private models, they have a career path yes. for the people that work there. They have, um, you know, they reward clinical excellence, just like you said. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I think one thing that we always, that I always talk about is, is you want to build a system that allows your clinical excellence the person who's passionate about EMS to grow and lead. And that's how you create. We, and we have a, we have a relatively value. young and I, not just age young, but years of service, young, new division chief of EMS, who's a hard charger and, and doing cool stuff. But guess what he was before the EMS chief? He was the ladder truck captain. He's just passionate about EMS, but he's still passionate. So, so his, he is really the one that came to me and said, man, I want clinical excellence to be on everything we do. So each division has letterhead in our department because we want them to be proud of what they do. He has, he has stamped on his letterhead clinical excellence. I love it. Love and, it. But that has transitioned into now the phrase is becoming operational excellence because it's not just about provide. We're an all hazards department. Should we stop at just doing it on EMS calls and providing clinical excellence? No, we should provide operational excellence. It doesn't matter whether we're rescuing somebody out of a house fire or doing a water rescue or doing a vehicle extrication or doing a CPR or doing a chest pain patient or whatever the whatever the problem we're dealt with, shouldn't we be striving for excellence in everything we do? If ESO don't work out, I'm coming to Idaho. Just to let you know, we are an ESO customer, so maybe ESO should send you to Idaho for a visit. I'm in. Let's go. That's awesome. It just makes yeah. me smile. I yeah. just love it. I love it. I love hearing it. It's so it's so good. But it's, it's so easy. encouraging. So, but but and I appreciate like we've done a lot of cool things in the two years I've been here. And, and I mean, coming through a pandemic. I mean, I came in in the so yeah. the pandemic started in in March of twenty two, and I took my job as the chief May in, right in May of twenty two of yeah. twenty. Of, of 2020, I'm sorry, not 22. 
So, I mean, literally come in and, and here we are dealing with, you know, everybody's walking around in masks and we got buildings shut down and, you know, it's, it's so to get, to get some of this going has taken maybe longer than we would have hoped, but I think people are on board and to walk around and see, I, I got a text from one of our guys today who uh, is an AEMT is an advanced EMT. He's like, man, I just, is, I'm excited about some medical training we did the other day. I just want to thank you for, for championing that. I mean, so when you see guys all across the spectrum, get excited about the stuff we're doing, I want them to be just as excited about repelling down the building tomorrow or, you know, whatever training we have scheduled tomorrow, it's just exciting to see folks that are passionate about what they do. Cause I, I will tell anybody I have the coolest job ever. I get paid to play with fire trucks and ambulances every day. <laughs> like I'm living out every five-year-old kid's dream. You got to get you a helicopter. Then that'll be the icing on the cake. Yeah. Get yourself a helicopter. Uh, you know, <laughs> We'll save that for the next podcast. <laughs> Challenge accepted. The look on your face. Does he know? Does he know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on now. I'm making sure which folders. Nope, it doesn't say top secret helicopter project. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's awesome. Good stuff. I think that's a good good place to to kind of cut it out to keep to move on don't you think <laughs> yeah yeah i, I just think. appreciate the opportunity i know in all seriousness guys this has been fun i mean this has been a a good break from reality for the last hour and a little over an hour and i just appreciate the opportunity because uh i love talking about ems i love talking about our department i love talking about people doing cool stuff in ems and I, I appreciate, uh, uh, I mean, although Mike and I have only met once, uh, I mean, I appreciate getting that, to hang that, out with that these guys. That you remember. That, Mike that I remember, yeah. I mean, clearly, <laughs> you know, Mike's still like, hey, I'd like to come meet you in Idaho sometime. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, sure. Maybe it'll, oh, maybe we're the gonna, handshake will feel just like it did the last time. But well, we're going to go out and we're going to go do the EMS show live at your conference next year. It's fine. It'll be great. You're welcome. We have a perfect spot, do we not, Ritu? Up on the 18th floor, we'll overlook the lake, do the show outside on the deck. Perfect. That is pretty perfect. freaking I'm, We're in. <laughs> but I just appreciate right. the opportunity, guys. I've had a blast. Awesome. Yeah, it was very good to see you. I will get us out of here on that note. So on behalf of our guest, Chris Way, Dr. Ritu Sani, Mike Verkest, you've been watching and listening to the EMS show. We are a proud Fire Dog production, and we will see you Take care, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to the EMS show. Let's continue this conversation. What do you say? Check out the official Facebook page and Twitter feed. The EMS show is a Fire Dog production.